Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I really is blessed to be here, uh, be with you. Not trying to overuse a word, but I do think sometimes there, there's truth there, and Betsy said it so well. Um, we, our culture has sort of led us to believe it's all about what we get out of things, even our Christian faith. And um, there's so much more. There's so much more. Well, we are glad you're here for the for this week two of our transformed experience. Uh, we, we partnered with Rick Warren and Saddleback Church in Southern California, seeking to be transformed by the grace of God. And we'll be doing this between now and, and Easter. Uh, if you were here at the beginning of this, you heard we've got about 75 groups meeting that between leaders and participants. We've got nearly 750 of you in groups, and uh, over a thousand journals have been sold, and uh, we've, we've got some more, and if, if we run out, we'll, we'll get some more, um, because the, these are really good for just every day. There's stuff in here, and, and you can follow along, like um, today on page 32 is a place for today's sermon notes, and you can do that, or if you use our notes, uh, I saw somebody do this, they showed me this morning, they, they just taped it in. Or taped it right at the top so they could lift it up and, and read their stuff on the back or whatever. There, there are all kinds of things to do, but it's just a, it's a, great, it's a great tool there for you as we focus on this and, and our theme verse. And Betsy mentioned that, but let's read it together. Would you join me in Romans 12 too? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that's what she was, that's, that's what Betsy was alluding to, is it's so easy for all of us to get engaged in stuff um, and, and what the world values, which is getting ahead, getting the promotion, getting the raise. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But if those become our focus, then we have gotten caught up in the pattern of the world and not in the pattern that Jesus modeled for us. And so you're, you're in, if, if you're doing this with us, if you're especially in your groups, you're engaged in looking at all of this. This past week we looked at spiritual health. Um, looked on Facebook, some of you wrote things like, God is working, I am loving this study. We're seeing big changes already. And, and I want to encourage you to do that. This week we, we switched from spiritual health to physical health, the second of our icons up here that we're using, and um, uh, looking at this thing called stress. But, but here's the thing. It, if you aren't in a group, you can certainly go out there and sign up. But if you are, there, there's no rule in all this that says you can only have people from Gateway in your group. If you've got some friends or coworkers or neighbors and, and you think, you know, I'd love for them to just come tonight when we meet. Invite them. You don't have to tell us. You're not in trouble. We want you to do that. This is, this is not for us to keep for ourselves. It's to give away. And, and that's why if you can't afford a journal, come see us. We'll figure out a way for you to have a journal. Because it's that important to help you in this journey. So, 
this week we're turning to, to physical health and, and in the videos that are shown in the homes and the groups, Rick Warren talks about s- certain aspects of that. I'm going to focus us in more on the area of stress in all of this because stress is a big deal today. People are stressed out. People are worried. People are feeling the stress of the job, feeling the stress in the family, feeling the stress of keeping up with the Joneses. All kinds of stresses that are are going on in our lives and a lot of money spent trying to relieve it. And yet at its most basic level, stress is simply our bodies responding to a threat. When you and I feel threatened somehow, our, our, our body kind of ramps up subconsciously almost to deal with it. Blood pressure goes up, pulse speeds up, adrenaline shoots into our bodies. Some of us have become, even become adrenaline junkies by that. God has created us this way in order to face threats uh, that, that come to us by giving us a biological burst of energy. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we have to acknowledge it saved a lot of lives. But When our bodies live in a state of near constant stress, that's where there are all kinds of dangerous side effects for you and me. From fatigue, to high blood pressure, to trouble sleeping, to agitation. Because, and here's the thing, our bodies were not made to live in a state of stress. They weren't made to stay there all the time. Because that can literally kill us. And so I want to focus on ways God tells us that we can diminish this unhealthy part of stress that's in our, our lives. And it, it was really interesting. Yesterday, I, I, I've been subscribing to, I'm a, I'm a science geek. Um, I've been subscribing to popular science over 40 years. Uh, my mother started it. And um, the cover of this month's popular science that came into my mailbox yesterday was all on stress. The whole cover. And there was like a six or eight page spread in there. I started reading it last night, fell asleep before I quite finished. But a lot of interesting stuff in there. Why? Because stress is an issue for our whole culture. But the cool thing is God has some things to say about it. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Uh, that's going to be about halfway through the Bible. On your mobile device, you can use the Version Bible app. Go to the live page. We, we, we've been told there's a couple of glitches in a couple of places in here. With it, and if you have that, I'm sorry. We're trying to figure that out, the techno- technology of that. But then the other thing you can do is pull out the printed notes and or go to page 32 in here and just write out what, whatever works for you. There, there are lots of ways to do that. The 23rd Psalm is probably the most beloved psalm because God has used it down through the, the, the generations and centuries to, to bring comfort and encouragement to millions of folks, especially in times of death. Now, what I've experienced over the last couple of decades is that, that younger adults don't necessarily uh, 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 line that psalm up in that way or it's not fami- as familiar as it is for, for sometimes people who have been around a little bit longer. But it's a really great psalm. And so I want us to dig into it because I think it helps us see how God has given us a tool not to just deal with issues at the end of life, but in fact, how to live our life each day, no matter what's going on around us, to show us how to lower our stress and enjoy God's creation and our lives more in it. The Proverb 14.30 says, peace of mind makes the body healthy. That's a reminder that, that our emotions and our stress affect 
how we feel. So we're going to walk through the 23rd Psalm written by King David about 3,000 years ago and look at some habits, spiritual habits that reduce our stress. Because worry or anxiety or whatever you want to call it is, is a big cause of stress in our lives today because we're concerned about, am I going to have enough? Can I, do I have enough money to get at the end of the month? Because it always seems like I got more month at the end of the money. Um, can, can we get through that? Do, you know, what about this, this, this relational issue I'm struggling with? What about this problem at work? There's all kinds of things. We often look to people around us to meet our needs in, instead of trusting God. And we get frustrated, we get disappointed because sometimes, in fact, many times, there's not a person who can do that, who can fill our needs. And that's because only God can. The very first habit then to reduce my stress is to look to God to meet all my needs. And that's exactly where David begins. I don't, I don't look anywhere else besides him to, to first meet my needs in life because no one else can do that except God who can and in fact wants to do that. The 23rd Psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need or, he give, or the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Maybe the way you grew up hearing it. I have all I need. And the analogy he uses here is of a shepherd, someone who is always out there with the sheep, always there, watching over him, caring for him, protecting him, making sure that, that they have food, they have water. David says, when I acknowledge God as my shepherd, as the one who is at the center of my life, whom I trust, that I don't lack for the things that I fundamentally need. The things that, in fact, others cannot even give me. Neither a wife nor a husband can meet all my needs, nor can my parents or my kids meet all my needs, nor can my job or money or, or my physical ability or my status. Th- those aren't bad things, but when we attach to them more value than they're capable of, when we trust them more than we trust anything else, we have put an impossible burden on them. Have you ever had somebody tr- look to you for all the answers and you start thinking, hey, whoa, 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 I'm not God here. Don't do that to me. I mean, we kind of do that. We set some people up for failure sometimes because we look to them, whether it's a spouse or a parent or, 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 or a good friend, to somehow fix everything, solve all of our problems, get us through everything. And, and they're going to fail us at some point. Not because they're bad people, not because they're trying to, but because none of us can do that consistently. There are ways to, to, to lose any of those things, those people. And when I do, then my security goes out the window. What am I going to do? If something happens, somebody walks out of my life, some, some uh, financial crash in my, in my life and I don't have money anymore, whatever it may be, if those are what I'm depending on, and the thing about that is those, you usually can't predict when they're going to happen. I am stressed out. But God says, hey, don't depend on those things. I, I am here and I am all you need. Romans 8.32 says, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, if God loves you and me so much that he would send his, cross, his son to die on the cross to take upon him our sins and, and, and ex- find freedom from that, 
freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. Don't you imagine then that he can also take care of other needs in our lives? So here's the thing. You and I need to stop looking to other people to meet all of our needs. I was doing some premarital counseling just recently, and I was talking to a couple about, you know, if you put your wife first, and that's what it sounds good, right? Put my wife first. Guys say, man, I'm putting my wife first. I'm limited at how much I can love my wife. I can't always do everything my wife needs me to do. I'm not perfect. If I love God the most, then, then what I've discovered is instead of loving my wife this much, when I, she's first in my life, I can love her this much. Because now I'm tapped into a God who is love, who's in, enabled me to do more through him than I can do myself. Because no matter how well-intentioned that other person may be, no matter how talented or gifted they may be, no matter how much they love us, okay, hear that, they can love us tremendously. They cannot meet all our needs. Why? Because God didn't create a person, a human being, to meet all of your needs or mine. That is an unrealistic, unfair burden that we put on another human being. And I've seen marriages fly apart sometimes because one or both individuals have unreal expectations when we're all human. And that's the way God made us. He didn't make us to be more than human. He made us to be human. David says he trusts God to be his shepherd then and supply all his needs. That's a great affirmation. Maybe something we need to to tell ourselves, repeat to ourselves. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I don't have to look elsewhere to find contentment or fulfillment. I don't have to wait till I get that next job or wait until I get through that next hurdle. That's what we often do. We put our lives on hold. We say, until I get there, until I get to that point, because we think somehow then everything's going to be okay. But you get there, and suddenly there's something else further on. And it will be that way for the rest of our lives. The question is, how do I live today? In whatever I'm in. And, and, and God is saying, he is our shepherd. And he will give us everything we need. Second, I need to obey God's instructions about rest. Because a lot of our stress comes from from rushing around because we got so much to do. In fact, most of us have too much to do, it feels like. And if we think we can do it all, we're we're kidding ourselves. You know, I think one of the big transition points in in life, going from a, a young person to an adult, is finally getting that point of life where you realize, I can't do it all. I want to do it all. There are lots of things I'd like to do. There are lots of things that look great to me. It would be so much fun. It would be so motivating. But I'm one person, and I have one life, and I can't. And that's a, that's a little bit of a bummer. But it's reality. And if I could do it all, I would be God. And that's the very temptation that Satan as the serpent gave to Adam and Eve. There's only one God, and you're not him. <laughs> I'm not him. Sometimes we just need to kind of repeat that. And we have, we have capacity, a limited capacity, and we need rest. And God created me to rest. And if I'm not willing to, he says, verse 2, he makes me lie down 
in green pastures. Now, isn't that a beautiful setting, green pastures? I mean, get out there on a beautiful, gorgeous day. But if I don't, if, if I don't have enough rest, I get cranky. I get irritable. I'm, I'm running around. I start losing capacity. The quality of my work goes down. And at some point, I crash and burn because I was created with a need for rest. And in fact, God modeled that for us. The Bible says on the seventh day of creation in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us God finished all of his creation, and then what did he do? He rested on that seventh day. Now, the Bible testifies, and it's, it's my fundamental belief, that God is all-powerful. There's nothing God can't do. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, it says he spoke creation into existence. That's how powerful he is. He didn't have to build anything. He spoke it, and it, it, it just was. So, if that is his power, then do you think that kind of God needs to rest? Or does he rest because he knows his creations need to rest? And he models it for us. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus, we talk about we, baptism and, and as, as a, a sign of the cleansing of our sins. But Jesus, Jesus never sinned. That's the testimony of Scripture. Why was he baptized? As much as anything else? To show us. To model it for us. This is what my people do. And I'm not above my people in that I do the same thing sometimes we, gotta, we, gotta, we think we got to keep working to get caught up or to prove something or because we want something. And, and hear me, God affirms the value of work. Work is valuable. Work is important. Work is God-honoring. Work is, is fulfilling. But he's also clear that there are limits. In Exodus 34, the Lord said, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. In other words, we're not farmers today, but the truth is still the truth. God is saying that even in the busiest time of year, and every one of us has busiest, most of them are just very busy, and every once in a while they jump up to busy, busiest, and occasionally they drop below very busy, but not very often. But even in the busiest, he's saying we need that. You don't sharpen your axe, you can't cut down as many trees. There's a little story about that. I won't. But the, the thing is, God has wired us in such a way that if we don't allow enough time for rest, our body is going to make us rest. We're going to crash. We're not created. If you think, I should be able to tough it out to a degree, yes. But to the degree that you go beyond what is reasonable and humanly possible, then you're giving in to the lie that somehow I can be like God. I can do more than any other human being. Why should I be different? I ought to be able to do that. And I set myself up to be frustrated over and over again. Getting enough sleep and, and rest is essential for managing stress and health. We use our Sabbath, our weekly day of rest, to rest our bodies, to refocus our lives. A, a, a guy said to a pastor, he said, Pastor, I tried to get a hold of you all day on Friday. Pastor said, well, I, I'm sorry, that's, that's my day off. That's my Sabbath. And he, he said, well, pastor, the devil never takes a day off. And the pastor said, well, yeah. And if I didn't, I'd be just like the devil. <laughs> Do you want to be like the devil? Think about it. 
God says we need rest, and, and we don't need to feel guilty about resting. Third, I need to recharge my beauty with my soul with beauty. Because ugliness in our world stresses us out while beauty inspires, it encourages, it motivates, it, it stirs up positive emotions, it reduces stress. God made this world a beautiful world of color and diversity, and it inspires us. I love some of the guys in our church are incredible photographers, and I, I'll see them on Facebook sometimes, and I look at that, wow, look at our creation. Look what God has done. Isn't it beautiful? I put in my, in my study at home, I have an aquarium because it just, I love seeing the fish and it just, it stirs my soul. And it, David wrote in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Doesn't he just think about a, a beautiful day and how creation just brings something extra inside you. Rick Warren said, nature refreshes because beauty inspires. And, and, And so we need to get outside. We need to enjoy God's creation. We need to start our days rather than with media so that the first thing you don't do is check Facebook or check your emails or check your text messages. Maybe what we need to do is spend some time with God by the quiet waters to set the tone of our day to refresh and reduce the stress from the beginning and to intentionally put beauty around us, art, music. Those are gifts from God. In Philippians, it says, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. For Go to God for guidance. You know, one of the big causes of stress in our lives is, is indecision. And some of you now, you're at a fork in the road or you've got multiple options that you need to consider. And the struggle of deciding is just stressing you out, right? Some of you could tell me. I don't want you to raise your hands. Um, but it's true. We need to turn to God and let him be our source for guidance rather than looking to, to the latest fad or, or what's trending on Facebook or Twitter, turn to God for the real truth. Because he, he, he wrote through David in the third verse, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. David discovered that he could turn to God for guidance. And when he forgot, that's when he stressed out. But as he felt led by God to write this psalm, he knew he could trust God to guide him through. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Hear that? He, he won't get mad at you if you ask for wisdom, for guidance. He loves it. Parents, don't you love it when your kids ask you how to do something, how to figure something out, instead of saying, I can do it myself? It's kind of It's kind of fun. Because all of a sudden, they're putting away some of their pride and saying, I just, I want to do this together. God loves giving us guidance and wisdom, but sometimes we've got to remember the answer he gives may not be the answer we want to receive, just as sometimes as parents, we tell our kids things that they don't, they don't necessarily like, but we do it for their best concern, for their best interest, because we love them, we care about them, and it's more important that we tell them what they need and what's right than we tell them what they want to hear. 
You always tell your kids what they want to hear. You're going to be in bad shape. We're not, we're, parents, we're not called to be their best friends. You might be, but we don't sacrifice our responsibility as a parent to guide them, especially through challenges. So we spend time praying to God, asking him to show us his answers, direction, read our Bibles, because often the, the answer comes through there. We may need to give some time to think, to listen, to be quiet, but a lot of times the answer just suddenly is there. And it's amazing how that works. But it can only work if we're putting ourselves in that position. Fifth, we need to trust God in the dark valleys. And here's the thing. All of us at some time or another are going through a dark valley. Some of us are there right now. Some of you, you're smiling on the outside, but it is hurting so badly on the inside. And I don't, I don't want to take that, I don't want to diminish that at all. And one of the most common sources of this kind of stress is loss. Maybe I lost my job and, and I'm worried about how I'm going to support my family or how I'm going to get through or what am I going to do about retirement. Maybe I lost my health and I have these incredible, had these dreams once upon a time and, and now they're shot. Maybe I, I lost my reputation. Maybe I lost a loved one. Whatever the loss, whatever the dark valley, there are a couple of common reactions. One is grief, and the other is fear. Now, here's the thing. Grief, believe it or not, grief is actually good. You were created to grieve. That, that's how God made you. Grieving is a process that he gave you and me in order to work through changes in our lives. Some of those changes are bad changes. Some of those changes are just changes. But it's a way of, of separating ourselves enough to be able to function and find God's good in life. And the, the, the cool thing is the Bible says that God grieves. And if we don't grieve, we get stuck. And you just ask folks in our grief share ministry and they will tell you how often they have seen individuals who are stuck in their grief. Too often we, we stuff our feelings down, we don't deal with them, and the result is we, we don't go anywhere. And, and we stay there until we allow ourselves the time and the permission to feel and to grieve. Because here's the thing, grief won't kill you. It, in fact, is good for us, even though I will be the first to admit it does, it's not something that necessarily feels good or we love going through it. But it is a gift from God to walk us through those times. Fear, on the other hand, is an unhealthy reaction. Think about this. Nowhere in the Bible do you read it saying, grieve not. Nowhere does it say sorrow not. Nowhere does it say cry not. But something like 365 times it says fear not. I wonder if that God's way of saying we need to remember that every day. See, grief doesn't paralyze us, but, but fear does. And so David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
For you're with me, your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The, the shepherd's rod, the shepherd's staff were tools, very powerful tools to keep wolves or lions away and to protect the sheep. We need to remind ourselves that when we're in a dark valley, we're not alone. Our shepherd, our God, is our loving shepherd who is walking right there with us, who is, loves us and cares for us and wants to comfort us in the midst of those times. And some of you, that's where you are right now. You're in the midst of the valley of the shadow. Maybe it's the valley of the shadow of death. But maybe it's the shadow of debt or conflict or discouragement. And shadows can be scary. But here's the thing. If a truck runs over me, it hurts. But if the shadow of a truck runs over me, it doesn't hurt. Right? Shadows can be so scary, but shadows, like fears, are often bigger than reality, often more than what's really going on. But in our minds, we start building it up. The good news is, though, wherever there is a shadow, there has to be a light. There can be no shadow without a light. Um, and so the key for us is not, is not to be afraid when we're going through the valley of the shadow, but instead turn our backs on the shadow to face the light. When you face the light, when you turn to the light, you no longer see the shadow behind you. It's, it, you don't see it. It, it, it. If it's there, it's now it's normal size. I keep my eyes on the light, and Jesus says he is the light of the world. So that's where I put my focus. I put my eyes on Jesus. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to me as well. And when I do that, I, I reduce my stress. Psalm 142 said, when I am ready to give up, he knows what I should do. So, and here's the thing. We, we, don't, we, don't, we aren't going to always understand why there's a shadow. We don't always understand why there's a trial. Look at the life of Job in, in the Old Testament, whose story is right before the Psalms. This man goes through incredible trials, and, and he asks God, why is this happening to me? God, tell me. I, I want to I be vindicated because I didn't do anything wrong. And, and God never answers that question. And you know what I've discovered is a lot of times there are questions you and I have about why things have happened that at least in this life we're not going to get an answer. David had things like that and yet what David chose to do is rather than focus on the shadow, focus on what I can't control, I turn to the light and trust that God loves me and he'll see me through this even if I don't understand why it's happening. And I know for us human beings, that's so hard. We want to know why. We want to understand. We think there's got to be a reason. But if you, if you pursue it, you will run yourself into the ground. You will stress yourself out. You, you may destroy yourself. Turn to the light. Trust God through it. Sixth, we want to let God be our defender. Because another source of stress is conflict and criticism and opposition. And, and here's the thing. Some of you, you're going to have to hold on for this. But there are some people in this world who don't like you. 
They don't. I mean, there's some people that don't like me. Maybe it's some of you. <laughs> and that's hard. I want everybody to like me. I want to be a nice guy. And so do you. But the reality is, it, does, it always happens. And some, sometimes somebody's criticizing you. Maybe it's out of jealousy. Maybe it's out of fear. They're talking about you behind your back. It might be a coworker. It might be your boss. It might be a classmate. It might be a neighbor. It might even be a family member putting you down, saying stuff about you. And what is our inclination? When somebody does that, when somebody attacks us, our inclination is to strike back, is to retaliate, is to get even. But, but when you and I get even with someone who's been criticizing us, all we're really doing to get even with somebody who's criticizing me means I have to sink to their level. Is that a good thing? See, when I retaliate, when I get even, I lose where I am by the grace of God and I descend to where they are. I, I, I will get down in the mud with them. I join in their pity party. I join in their destruction. And that's not what God calls us to do. When I forgive them, which goes against the grain... But when I forgive them, I don't descend. I am trying to lift them up. And I am certainly keeping myself where God wants me to be. The reality is, in our world today, our civilization is getting less civil, more rude all the time. You go on the internet. You, you, you do a Facebook post. You, you Twitter. Recently, I, I started reading about this I, um, a couple of times when famous people in our world had big problems or something happened to them, unfortunate, there were people attacking them in the midst of that, anonymously attacking them, putting them down, saying awful things about them. Why is that? Because when you're down in the dirt, you want everybody else with you. And when you see somebody struggling or hurting, they're an easy target. When, when a, a herd of animals is going through and there are predators around them, the predators never go over the strong ones. They always go over the weak ones, the ones that are hurting. And that's exactly what people are doing to you and me. That's the world we're sinking into if we're not careful. Instead of trying to be noble and kind. Instead of sinking to that level to be mean like they are. That somehow hoping that that will then make me feel better. How do we handle mean and rude people? We don't. We let God handle them. We let him be our defender, is what David said. And David was a pro at this, because reading about him, you, you'll see that he didn't have an easy life. In his early adult years, uh, yes, he, he, he threw the stone that killed Goliath, but then he came into King Saul's entourage, and there were times Saul welcomed him, and other times Saul wanted to kill him. Uh, moments he was talking good about him, and then in the next moment he was, he was scorning him. It would have been so easy for David to go around behind him to, to, to Saul's sons or to some of the leaders and badmouth him and talk down about him and say, man, why are you following him? But if you read the scripture, in fact, what it says over and over again is David didn't do that. In fact, when people encouraged him to, he refused to sink to the level of the ones around him. He never retaliated, but always said good things. And God was preparing David in that moment to have a heart like his own. A man after God's own heart. 
Verse 5 in the psalm says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. These are good things that God is, is doing to us in the midst of what's going on. It's a picture, a metaphor of God blessing David in the midst of those harmful things. And he's, David is saying he has discovered that he can trust God to carry him through those attacks. In the intro to Psalm 18, it, it says in the scripture that David sang it on the day the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies, including King Saul. Listen to what he's saying. You might think, okay, I, he finally got his. But this is what he's saying. How I love you, Lord. You are my defender. The Lord is my protector. He's my strong fortress. My God is my protection, and with him I am safe. He protects me like a shield. He defends me and keeps me safe. Not that dog, Saul, but my God who defended me. He affirmed that God would see him through. And, and no, nothing about this saying it's easy, okay? I'm not saying that you change some words and suddenly everything gets easy. Because here's the thing. In those days before then, he was living in a cave. You ever seen a porta potty in a cave? You ever seen an air mattress in a cave? 3,000 years ago, there wasn't. But David was affirming God had defended him. It takes faith to hold our tongue and trust God that he will make it right. That he will bring justice. That it is not my responsibility to get even because when I get even, I sink to their level. I trust God to raise me up, to, to allow him to defend me. And it takes humility not to retaliate. But we are most like Christ when you and I remain silent and do not retaliate when we are being attacked. Folks said Jesus was a glutton, a drunk, a son of the devil, and in fact, some called him the devil himself. But Jesus didn't retaliate or get back at them. In fact, most of the time, he wouldn't even correct them. He just took it. When Jesus was taken prisoner on the, on the last night here on earth, they took him to the Roman governor Pilate, and they said, this man is trying to overthrow Rome. Now, they couldn't find anybody to corroborate that story, and Pilate said to him, is that right? Is that, is that what you're trying to do? And Jesus remained silent, trusting himself to God. Guys, we are most like Jesus Christ when we remain silent in the midst of criticism, even lies. It goes against the grain. I know it. But it, it will work in our favor and make our critics look small and petty. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Man, when God says the reward is great, it must really be great. You know? So when I trust God in this, not only do I have something to look forward to, no matter what I'm going through, but... God's love in me can transform how I work through this. He gives me the power, the influence, the favor, the blessing I need to get through. In a strange way, our critics often end up actually helping us more than hurting us because if we respond God's way, we experience blessings rather than stressings. And finally, you and I need to expect God then to finish what he starts in us. Too often, we get afraid of the future. What's going to happen out there? I don't know about tomorrow, much less six weeks from now or a year from now. What's the economy going to do? What's my job going to do? And, and I start expecting the worst. We start playing the what-if game. And then we start playing the what-if game. And then after that, what if? What if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if? And suddenly you create a whole scenario 
And 95% of it never happens. But you have worried and you have stressed because of the scenario you created in your mind. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can't expect the worst, that everything's going to go wrong. I can play the what-if game, or I can affirm my faith in God and trust Him to hold my future. Those are options. Look at it from God's viewpoint or look at it from fear and anxiety. How do I lower my stress then? I, I, I say, God, I expect you to finish what you have started in me and in this world. And even if stuff goes wrong, because the people who aren't listening, who aren't obeying, or I mess up, as a person who has committed their life to Christ, I can rest knowing that if it doesn't work in this life, I've got an incredible life ahead of me in heaven to dwell in your house forever. I mean, what are you expecting? I mean, essentially, that's a goal. We're asking you to each week write a goal, and maybe it's a goal about what, how I'm going to look at my week. What am I going to expect out of what happens ahead of me? Because, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what burdens, I don't know what struggles, I don't know what worries you're carrying. But Jesus says, here's the answer. He says, come to me. Not come to this group. Not come to this class. Not come to this clinic. Not come to this self-help book. Come to me, he says. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more work. I will make your life miserable. I will make you feel guilty. No. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is the light. The cool thing about a yoke couple of, it's a piece of wood, a couple of arches in it, put over a couple of cows to enable them to pull a load together. And the yoke halves, cuts in half the load of a single cow. We keep thinking, if I bring Jesus in, he's going to put all this more on me. But Jesus says for us to take his yoke upon us. that he will do the heavy lifting. He will come alongside us, not to give you and me more to carry, but to help us carry the load we already have. And that reduces so much stress. When I'm yoked with Christ, we move together. It's not my plan or my path because I'm, I'm locked into him. He keeps me out of the ditch. And, and I don't get going too fast or too slow because with a yoke, I can't go further than the yoke allows me to. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked to him for him to walk me through at the right pace, in the right direction, at the right time. And maybe it's time for you this morning to come to Christ and let him help come up under you and carry some of the loads you're carrying. Our, our prayer team is going to be down here in just a second. I want them to come as, as after I pray. And we're going, to, we're going to sing a very brief one of the choruses we already did as a way to remind us that God is for us. He's not looking to zap you and me. He loves you. 
and he wants to come alongside you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, which is sufficient. I, I admit that times, Father, I try to get ahead of you or I try to, I try to do it my way. And it, it just doesn't work in the long run. Help me to trust you, Father, to line myself with you, to yoke myself to you, to walk hand in hand with you. You say you will take the yoke upon you. You will help me bear the load, bear the burden, guide me at the right speed in the right direction. Father, and I believe that if in doing that, I will discover that the bad stress in my life will be reduced because I'm living life the way you created me to live. I'm not trying to do it the hard way, the wrong way, the fast way, but simply your way. Help me to do that today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand just for a second. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.